Welcome everyone to Hale Ho'onani, our a new kind of interactive church. Hale Ho'onani means house of praise in Hawaiian. Today we're talking about how to deal with complainers. So let's do our round of hellos. If you could just unmute and say hello to everyone, your name and maybe where you're from. <laughs> Hi, Dora. Hi, everybody. California, Samantha, California. Hi, everybody. It's Michelle in Oregon. Hi, everybody. It's Dora in California, Orange County. Great. Catherine, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. It's Catherine from Jessup, Georgia. Oh, wonderful. And welcome, Mary. And welcome, Kamala. Kamala says hi in the chat to everyone. It's so good to see all of you. Um, okay, so now it's time for an announcement. We have a new timer on our website. If you go to our website, halehoonani.org, and you scroll down, then you can see when the next Sunday service is going to be. So like I did this on Wednesday, and on Wednesday, see, it tells me, oh, next Sunday service is in four days, three hours, 43 minutes. So, I mean, I hope that helps you. It's so hard to, to track. <clears throat> Okay, so now it's time for um, our opening prayer. And to go ahead, it's Father's Day, so I have a little slideshow here of fathers. But go ahead and close your eyes and go ahead and breathe in and breathing out. And imagine a waterfall of sparkling white light falling down from heaven and cascading over your whole body and into the earth. And as you breathe, you can feel the angels surrounding you in the room that you're in, making sure that your space is sacred and protected and only good things will happen here today. We're gonna call in our spirit guides, Mother God, Father God, Jesus, Mother Mary, Yogananda, and Anastasia, the sister of Jesus, and Dr. Hansen, a miracle healer, and King Solomon, and Pele Honuamea, the volcano goddess. Breathing in and breathing out, today is a very special day. Imagine all the father angels descending from heaven, coming down upon and blessing your life, and all the Juneteenth angels coming down for freedom. Breathing in and out. And as you breathe, feel yourself going back in age. Whatever age you are now, see yourself just feel yourself 10 years younger. Feel yourself 20 years younger. And then feel yourself 30 years younger. Going back until you're about 10 years old. Feel your feet in your little shoes. And now, wherever you are in your mind, your father steps into the room, 
see your father now in front of you or see the person who was like a father to you. And if you don't have a father, then see God in front of you. And your father is smiling at you and reaching out his arms to hold you. Go ahead and hold your father now. And you can smell his clothes at his shoulder. And he is saying to you, I'm so very proud of you and who you have become. You are my joy. You are my contribution to the world. made my life worthy. You are my gift and my offering of joy to this world. May this world enjoy you and feel his joy in your body surrounding you. You are your father's gift to this world. May the world enjoy you. Breathe. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes. Just before we continue, I want to welcome Dr. Jones and just want to pause and give you a moment. Okay, wonderful. Let's do our Hawaiian word of the week, which is Happy Father's Day, <laughs> which is pronounced Haoli La Makua Kane. So go ahead and say that with me. We're going to start with Haoli, which means happy. Say how. Oli. Uh, Oli. Good. How Oli? La is day. So just say la. la. And then makua kane means father. So makua is parent and kane and pigeon. You can sometimes you say kani, but you can say kane is man. So go ahead and say that with me. Makua. Kua. Kane. Kane. Kua kane. Makua kane. Makua kane. Makua kane. How only la makua kane. Only la makua kane. Good, good. Okay, so how you sign it, we're going to do it one at a time. First, we're going to sign happy, which is how only. Brush your chest twice. How only. Happy. How only. Happy and then law. So you put take your left hand, put it on your right hand, and the sun goes down. La, that's day. La, and then we have father. So you're gonna make a letter, sort of like you can either make a letter D or go like this, and you just kind of like a rooster. 
Makuakane, which is father. Makuakane. So here we go. We're going to go happy day. Makuakane. How oli la makuakane. How oli la makuakane. And then in English, happy father's day. Or happy day fathers. Ah, oh, it was so good. You guys look great. <laughs> Welcome, Dodie. It's nice to see you. So there's a holy man in India who teaches enlightenment. They also, even though they're Hindu, they do call it Christ consciousness. Now he's very famous. His name is Sri Bhagavan. And he says our relationship with our birth parents is really important. So your mother represents unnecessary obstacles. So if you have a bad relationship with your mother, you're going to face a lot of unnecessary obstacles in your life. When you clean up your relationship with your mother, all these unnecessary obstacles go away. Now, he says that your father represents karma or, or your relationship with money. So when you have a good relationship with your dad, you have a good relationship with money. So wishing your father... A happy Father's Day, how only la makuakane will help you wish yourself good money karma. So do you have any questions or comments on that before we move on? So now let's do our recap, our last Sunday service. Last Sunday service, we talked about how to heal a part of yourself that you don't like. So we said... You can't get rid of it. It has to be useful. And the part of you that you don't like is teaching you something. It has a job. So Mary said she doesn't like being old. When she was young, she spent all her energy loving everybody else. Now that she's old, she's learning how to let everybody else love her. Being old teaches her how to be more lovable. So every time her knee hurts at Zumba, she's reminded of her job, which is, oh, I'm old, and that's why I'm more lovable. Now, Sophia says she doesn't like the sarcoma, the benign cancer growing on her head, and she named it Little Poopy. And Thomas and all of you said that poop is fertilizer and compost for her spiritual creativity. Because it's located like right on top of her crown chakra. And it's teaching her how to tend to her emotional garden where her creative powers are laying dormant because they need to be fertilized and watered. <clears throat> okay, so as God promised us, we're working on abundance this year. So every time we meet, every Sunday, we're just going to work on it. We're just working on it all year long. Part of our abundance journey is consistently upgrading. So we're upgrading our energy levels so that we feel motivated on a daily basis. We're upgrading our mindset. We're upgrading our emotions. We're upgrading our health by moving our bodies. Today, we're upgrading our relationships, not all of them, just the certain relationships that will block you from attracting abundance. 
Now, when you move on from those relationships, all of a sudden you bring in abundance. Who knew? And that's why we're talking today about how to deal with complainers. Complainers are people who act like they're a zero. They have zero to offer, zero to put on the table, zero talent. Zeros deliberately pair up with someone who's a hero. A hero has 100% to offer, 100% to give, 100% talent. So you do the math. Who's getting the short end of the stick here? Now, I know at a certain point, it doesn't make sense to you. Why would a hero pair up with a zero? In the Old Testament, there was a wise old prophet named Samuel, and he pairs up with a dumb, young, full of fun, nobody named Saul. And the Israelites keep asking God for a king, someone who will, quote unquote, do all the work for us. So they say to God, we're tired of being decision makers, making our own decisions about our own future and the direction of our own lives. Why don't you, God, appoint us a king who will do that for us? And God says, well, that's not how it works, but okay. So God gets on Tinder, he keeps, starts swiping left, and he's like, uh, no. No, whoa, whoa, wow, what's with this guy's, what's with that hat he's hiding? Oh, he's on steroids. Yeah, that guy has mommy issues. Oh, no, no, you're not the Israelites type. That, yeah, Jim, and the other Jim's, well, so many tattoos. Finally, he lands on one 14 kilometers away, Gibea. Okay, this is, yeah, it's perfect. So God tells Samuel, okay, I found our new king. And Samuel asks, where'd you find him? And God says, well, he's very attractive. They're going to like him. And Samuel says, where'd you meet him? And God says, well, I haven't met him yet, but I'm going to arrange for you to meet him and crown him king. So Samuel goes, okay, where and when? God matches with Saul on Tinder and he messages him. He's going to make him king and he sets up the date with Samuel. So God pairs Samuel, the hero, with Saul, the zero, because God is making a point. Here I am, God, I gave you a hero, and you, my people, are asking me for a zero. So here you go. And he's letting the people see for themselves that they got a bad picker. That's when you always pick the wrong people to trust. Now, if you got a bad picker, you're gonna block your abundance. So here's a clue. Samuel, the prophet, summons the people of Israel, all 12 tribes. He makes this big announcement. Okay, you asked for a king. Boom, here's your king. Everyone's looking around. Saul is hiding in the supply closet. He's like, not ready to step up to the plate. So they go grab him. He's like, who me? And everyone's like, yeah, our hero Samuel said, you're it, you're king. So, you know, Saul shrugs his shoulders. He's like, yeah, okay, sure. There's a 
difference between being humble and being scumbro. In other words, flip it. Like when you're humble, you take a great honor seriously. And when you're like flippant, you take a great honor like as a joke or as an aside. And you deny that it's an honor because that way you can deny that you have any power or any responsibility. That's not stepping up to the plate. It's actually stepping back and away from what you're called to do. Humility is courage. Being flippant is cowardice. So let's go ahead and talk about when someone consistently doesn't show up for you. You give them this great honor, they show up late or unprepared or like they don't want to be there, they're acting like they're sick. Now that's what Saul, the zero, does to Samuel, the hero. You're always there for someone, they're never there for you. How do you get roped into feeling sorry for them? It's because of the false promise. A zero will never tell you no. Their answer to everything is yes, yes, yes. Do you want to have kids one day? Yes. Do you want to give me the money to start my business? Yes, yes. Because they don't plan on doing any of the work. You're going to do the work, not them. And do you know why you do the work? Because of the false promise. Here comes someone who will make everything that you've been hoping for, Israelites asking for a king forever, everything you've been working towards come true. They're going to make you rich. They're going to love you, give you romance. They're going to launch your career. They're going to save you. And anytime you want someone to save you, you've fallen for the false promise. Because even God, when he saves you, God makes you the hero. When you worship someone else and give them credit for everything good in your life, you become the zero. And that's what the Israelites do. They want to be the zero and make someone else the hero. And how many times in your life have you wanted someone to come and save you? That's how you get roped in. That's how the Israelites get roped into trusting the wrong person, Saul. Please write this in your journal. When I long for a hero, basically I'm making myself a zero. So here Saul is. He's king. He has every resource at his disposal to fulfill their dreams. He can snap his fingers and do it. But does he? Nope. Why not? Because he's a complainer. And it doesn't matter how convenient it is for a complainer to lift a finger. They won't because of the complainer's creed. Principle number one, always be the victim. Never ever be the hero or save the day. And Samuel tells Saul, you're the king, be the king. And Saul says, sure. And Samuel says, lead the army to the battlefield, wait for me, 
I'll come on the seventh day. I'll do all the work. Just stand there, look pretty. It's very easy. Just stand like this. Look, this. look flashy. Hold your sword up. Smile. You can do that. Saul says, sure. But this is what happens. The army starts to look at Saul and they start to cry. Because some of them look at King Zero and they start whining. When is Samuel the hero going to get here? And Saul says, soon, here, take a selfie with me. And they're not feeling good. Mm -mm. So they scatter. And some of them just walk off the battlefield. So pretty boy Saul, he just starts, he starts banging some pan, pots and pans. He's like, hey, hey, okay. Even though Samuel said, wait, okay, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do the burnt offering. So he's supposed to tie up the lamb, you know, sacrifice it on, on the altar. But the lamb starts crying. Saul's dog starts feeding it. They end up having a petting zoo, not a burnt offering. And finally, when Samuel arrives, he's like, how hard is it to look good until I get here? And Samuel is schlepping all this equipment, all the supplies for the burnt offering. Samuel's doing all the work. He's just asking so little from the zero. And Saul has stories, stories, why he can't just do one little thing. And that's called offloading. The zeros offload every single tiny expectation on them because they're training your mind to think of them as zeros. I'm a zero. Ask nothing of me. They're training you. You're supposed to know that they can do nothing. And they're always happy to explain why. On and on, stories. And whenever someone complains nonstop, they are refusing to step up. They're work avoidant. And Samuel tells Saul, just do the work. And Saul would rather sit there, complain, and take zero action steps. Complaining is a technique to get out of something. It's a lie. And the lie is, there's nothing I can do about it except complain. Therefore, you do it for me while I sit here and eat crackers. They still want to keep the title. They still want to be king. They still want to get paid. But you volunteer to do all the work. In other words, slavery. And when you feel sorry for a complainer, you will agree to be their slave. And then you're in the excuse Olympics. Your complainer competes against you. And I'm telling you, they're always going to have a bigger, faster excuse. You can say, I'm poor, and you're a king, by the way. And they say, oh, my money's all tied up right now. I don't even have 10 cents. And you say, I'm sick. They say, I'm an addict. You say, I got to pick up my son from daycare. And they say, I want to kill myself in the next five minutes if you don't get here now. And you know what God told me when I asked him about my complainer. He said, there are no excuses to ask people to be slaves. And complainers are slave makers. If you hang out with the slave maker, you'll end up being a slave, which leads you to having slave mindset. Slave mindset blocks your abundance. 
being someone's slave is temporary because you're eventually going to break up with them. But slave mindset is permanent. It goes on for generations. You pass it down to your grandkids. It's extremely hard to reverse. So I recommend don't start because this thing don't finish. Slave mindset is a very long road. And when someone is complaining nonstop, you know this. It's a slave-making mindset again. They're doing that thing. They're trying to recruit you into another slave-making operation. And I'm not saying you need to stop being friends with complainers. You just need to stop being their slave. They got wings. They can fly. But this is you carrying them on your back. Yeah, for them, because they just got a new slave. You're doing all the work. Now, let me pause here and see if you have any comments. Now, people have emotional needs. I just need you to listen. I just need to vent right now. I just need you to feel sorry for me, okay? Say yes, say yes. If you're up for it, if you're up for this, do it because you're being supportive. But when you're manifesting abundance, you have to be aware of when it crosses a line. And here's the line. When someone says to you, I don't want to do anything about it. I just want to complain and make you do something about it. And pretend that one day, I promise you, I'm going to win the lotto. I'm going to pay you. Okay, that's right there. That's the line. And this is a classic recipe. It's an excuse coupled with a false promise. They're definitely enrolling you as a slave for sure. Get out of there. You cannot manifest abundance and be someone's slave at the same time. And I know you and me, we all remember those years when we were trying, but we were someone's slave. And it works against itself. If you have no life, sure, it's okay to listen to complainers. But when you're manifesting, it's just like a surgeon right about to do surgery. He doesn't go and pour mud all over the surgery table or a gardener planting seeds doesn't pour rocks into the soil. Prepare the soil for your abundance to grow and get rid of the complainers in your field. And I'm not talking about people who are sincerely in pain and need to talk to a therapist. I'm talking about people who are acting like they're in pain because they wanna enroll you as their slave. And here's the second line. If someone crosses this line, you know they're a slave maker. If you let them cross this line, you are participating in slave making mindset. If the person just wants to complain and complain and doesn't want to listen, they're 100% a slave maker. If you're willing to listen, you're ready to end the circumstances that are forcing you to complain. A lot of folks don't want to change anything. They like the circumstances because it's a perfect excuse not to do the work. 
The work is always uphill. It's always done solo, alone. It's called the wall. Each person has one wall, one wall only inside of themselves that keeps them from fully manifesting abundance. And every person has to climb their wall. It's the wall of self-doubt. And it's filled with hateful, negative thoughts and voices telling you why you can't do it. And you gotta climb it. It's so crappy. And sometimes you're stuck halfway up this wall. You can't go back down. You can't go up any further. You're just tired. That's why it's called the wall. And the wall says, why I gotta do this? Why I gotta do that? Why is it so much work? If it's this difficult, wasn't meant to be. Those, my friend, are all your fears. The collective fears inside of you, outside of you, voices of doubt and judgment. And when you're not on the wall, you don't hear the voices. When you're on the wall, you have to read them and hear them. You got to put your smelly toes on that one right there. Can't do it. Oh, sort of step on it. Who do you think you are, Mr. Goodbar? You got to push your foot on that one. Give it a twist. Gross. And you have to do this until you reach your goal. Every step you take, every move you make, every breath you create, you're overcoming your fear. Success is not the other side of the wall. Success is the wall. Success is not a destination. It's a process. And it's a state of mind. It's in your head. In your head. In your head. And in the climb. And it does two things. You ain't got time for complainers, a.k.a. slave makers. And you're not enrolling yourself to be a slave. Every time someone tries to shove a post-it, a.k.a. a lie into your face, asking you why you want to be free, come down here, be their slave. You got to grab another chunk of that wall, hoist yourself up, and say, I'm not your slave. I'm free. I'm a miracle maker, an abundance shaker. Watch me make my move. And they say, you know, you don't look free. You kind of look trapped on that wall. And you got to grab another chunk of the wall. And you got to say, but I'm breaking free. Shut up. Let me climb. And when you're not manifesting your abundance, it's like being on flat ground. You can walk alongside complainers with no problem. When you're manifesting your abundance, it's like being on the wall. You're gonna go uphill and you cannot listen to complainers. You cannot give them attention. You cannot get down from the wall in order to be their slave. You're either gonna manifest your abundance or you're going to have them in your life and you cannot do both because of the complainers creed. And that creed says, me, 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 me. And Samuel says to Saul, your king, get up on the wall, do the work, 
And Saul looks around at all the moms, you know, all the moms who do everything. And he thinks, wow, they're doing it all. Look at them climbing their wall. Maybe I can get some of them to do some stuff for me. I better get complaining, make me some slaves. So let's do our abundance exercise. So in your journal right now, write down who is the complainer in your life or somebody who you spent years listening to them complain to you. <laughs> who was that person? Because they're still relevant. Okay, then now write down what was their motto? What did you hear them saying to you all the time? They were always saying the same thing all the time. What were they saying? What was that motto? That person represents your inner self-sabotager. It's called the excuse factory. And these are all the excuses that you've used in your life to not manifest your abundance. So for example, my complainer is my friend, Bud. Bud has hundreds of millions of dollars. I've known him my whole life. We're super close. He's never once donated a dollar to my church. He refuses to give a dollar of any of his fortune to helping anyone. Instead, he just wants to have fun. So he'll pay for anything that's meaningless, frivolous, useless, just for kicks and giggles, even for jokes but he'll never pay for anything worthwhile of substance or of value. And his motto is, take a break, forget about your life, just have fun. And that motto became my slave mindset for years when I was a beach bum that kept me from pursuing my abundance 100%. Because I was Wendy, he was Peter Pan, the two of us were like brothers and sister. We just farted around instead of focusing on me manifesting my abundance. Okay, so now it's your turn. How did your complainer mirror to you the excuses that you needed in order to adopt a slave mindset and stop focusing on manifesting your abundance? and write that in your journal. Finally, after decades of friendship, I stopped communicating with my buddy and he's like my brother and I'll always love him. He'll always be family to me. I just won't be his slave anymore. So I was supposed to go on a road trip with him. Instead, I went on a road trip with Sophia and here I am back in Boston working with my professor on a systematic theology for our church. And everything in my life started bringing me really intense good luck the moment I moved on from my complainer. It was crazy. The same will happen to you. Please write in your journal, it's time to move on to manifesting my abundance. Okay, so now let's, let's share a little bit 
about how your complainer represented part of your inner self sabotager. And I'll let you finish writing. Yeah, Dr. Jones. Well, some of the sabotage, one of the sabotages is my mom. So what happens when you're like trying to work on the relationship, but part of them is complaining and it's affecting your abundance? Then how do you work through that, you know? And what was her motto? Oh, I can't afford it. And I just a sense of lack. And you can't and you can't point it out to her because she'll she's one that like she will call you out on how you're using your words. But when you go to try to say something, even in a nice way about hers, then it's like she doesn't want to hear it. She'll like hang up the phone or change the conversation or has to go. It's always like, well, I can't afford it or I have to put everything goes through the story of money before she gets to the point. So she's like and reinforcing it every time. Right. I ignore it because it's no point in fighting that battle. And I just deflect it because you can't point it out because it's going to start an argument. Good. What does everyone else think? That it, everything goes through the story of money first. And the motto is always, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. Shutting it down. I wrote down my husband. You know, my husband thought he knew everything. And uh, I would say to him sometimes, that's not right. No, that's not right. And so even when I would point it out, he would say, I get it. You think I'm stupid. You're always the, the smart one. It would, that would reduce me to tears when he would say that. And it would always reduce me to tears because I would get to where uh, I would kind of choose and pick my words, you know, when I really wanted to say one thing and I would say something else so that um, I didn't have to struggle or walk on eggshells. But um, months and months before he passed, I used to, I was walking down the sidewalk one day and some mornings he would wake up and it was like he was angry and I didn't know why. Because uh, he went to bed happy, and, and I didn't do that until while he was asleep. So, um, and I would take on that responsibility of saying, what's wrong? What did I do? What, what's the matter? What did I do? And this and that and other. And he would say, nothing, 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 nothing. And so finally, one day the Lord said to me, quit taking on everybody's responsibility. It's not your responsibility. It's not about you. It's not your responsibility to make everybody happy. You know you didn't do anything. You know you're trying to do the best you can do. That's his issue. Quit trying to drag it for him. That's his issue. You tend to your own self. And from that day on, I was able to do that up until he passed. So that's my story.
That's beautiful. Does anyone have any response to either Dr. Jones or Catherine's? Yeah, the think your stupid thing was kind of goes along with my, not only the self-doubt, but believing that I was incapable. Being dyslexic and not being able to read, uh, that made me feel self-doubt of everything that I did, incapable, and a belief system that it had to be hard work, that everything had to come to me by hard, hard work. I'm, I was willing to put the work in, but man, when I have that belief and you're feeding that, it would get harder and harder and harder. I always associated hard work and money as a unit. And that somehow that self-doubt was in the way that I, I didn't deserve it for some reason. Until I heard God say, it's yours just because you want it. That term, just because I want it, was like, you got to be kidding. I always thought it had to have some kind of big important thing attached to wanting money or having money. Not that you just deserve it because you're the child of God. And if you want it, open up. I want to say one thing, Dr. Jones. Last October, I was having a really hard time. Um, I was using that. I have another complainer who kept saying, just like your mom said, it's the money. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. And so I was wondering about how I could keep investing so much energy in my ministry. And I was at a conference, a Harvard leadership conference at that time. And I was talking to someone and be like, well, I don't have money. So I just, I don't know. I'm gonna... And all of a sudden I saw God standing in front of me and he looked at me and I realized that money never stopped God before. And for so many years, I had put off starting my ministry because I didn't have the money. And that for me was my inner self-sabotager of why I couldn't live my dream. Dr. Jones, are you thinking anything? Oh, just thank you. Yeah, so you just kind of have to not let it get inside of you. And maybe use that as a reminder to do some affirmations about worthiness and that kind of thing for yourself. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, let's go ahead and do our closing prayer. Go ahead and close your eyes. And breathing in and breathing out, just fill your body up with oxygen imagining that swirling around you are all the father angels and the freedom angels of Juneteenth. And they're so proud of you climbing on that wall and not getting down. And they see you trapped halfway up on that wall alive. And your father is so proud of you for climbing on that wall. It's exactly what he taught you to do to climb the wall. Feel how grateful the universe is seeing you on that wall stuck halfway up. Everybody's looking at you going, man, wow. 
such a brave soul to climb so high. You are the example of success to everyone seeing you on that wall. She's 80, she's on the top. Holy moly, we gotta get on our wall. The universe is so proud of you on this Father's Day and so appreciative of who you are. Breathing in the energy of pride, it's royal blue. Breathing in a shower of royal blue energy coming down from heaven, nobility and dignity and responsibility, authority and power. You on that wall are the energy of royal blue. You have this because you fight, because you are success. We pray that you are surrounded these next two weeks by that energy of strength and authority and control and power. And that on this Father's Day, you are blessed and surrounded by all the fathers of the universe who are supporting you and lifting you higher over your wall. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes and let's do our round of goodbyes. And Bye, thank everybody. Else. Bye. Good to see everybody. You, Samantha, Vicky. Thank you, everyone. And goodbye. <laughs>